Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Deceptively Fast Podcast. I'm Seth Payne. I played in the NFL for 10 years. I talk a lot about the NFL on this podcast. About 50-50 NFL and other stuff. So lifestyle, uh, funny stuff. Never going to touch the news. You can keep the serious stuff elsewhere in your life. We always start off with football today. I've got Drew Hodgden, my friend who was a teammate of mine with the Texans. He played collegiately at Arizona State. He was a center. I was a nose tackle. We butted heads literally in practice a lot, and I learned to respect him because he's a hard worker, and he's also a bright and funny guy. Please subscribe, and if you see fit, leave a five-star review on iTunes. That would be so awesome. Enjoy the show. All right, Drew, it feels like I haven't talked to you in a couple weeks, and I think I might not have. So I've got a lot to fill you in on, and and I need your perspective desperately on this Deshaun Watson stuff because it is slowly driving me insane. I thought I'd gotten to a point (laughs) in life where maybe I was okay on social media and not so reactionary and I don't get worked up about stupid stuff. Every day after my show this week and a few days last week, I've been getting in like completely nonsensical, idiotic arguments with people who ultimately we realize uh, agree with me. Like we all like, oh, I'll get in this argument for like a half hour and at the very end of it, we'll be like, well, yeah, but Jack Easterby is really the problem. So, <laughs> so Deshaun Watson and the prospects of Deshaun Watson being traded. I'm going to start off real simply with you and just ask you, give me, give me your percentage chance that you think Deshaun Watson gets traded off the Texans. I think it's actually very unlikely. Really? I don't know. Yeah. Okay. I guess that's a hot take, and and it's yeah. it's totally. I know you you're so animated by this. You I like know. This. I know. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. I've been looking I, for I've been looking for outs. Usually, what will happen every yeah. day is I'll I, I'll say, hey, look, when star players generally want out in sports these days, if they make a big enough nuisance of themselves, and if they're a big enough caliber of player, then they generally get traded. And and I got a lot of people coming at me saying, Seth, you're an idiot. You're a moron. Uh, he's under contract. It's not going to happen. And I want to believe that side of me, but I, I feel right. like I'm being too cynical here. So give me the give me the positive news about Deshaun Watson being Well, right. so there, there's three caveats to that statement, I think. I mean, it, I'm w- one, down. yeah, it's, I know. It's too many. The I guess the... The first one being that, you know, I it's possible that maybe I'm not fully up to speed on something that's directly coming from Deshaun Watson, but everything that I've seen is not coming from him. It seems like it's a little bit of hearsay. It's sort of like uh, 
these ambiguous references to like old rap lyrics via Twitter or like these are not direct statements that mm-hmm. are really being fired from Deshaun directly to the front okay. office with the okay. Texans. That's so, number one. That's... I'm gonna, I might have a rebuttal for that. <laughs> okay. Give me All number right. two. Yeah. Number two is it's not directly related to the contract. So it's not that he wants more money where, you know, I feel like the vast majority of cases where this happens, they feel like they're being wronged, underpaid. They truly just want to restructure their agreement. It's, this is a new contract that for all intents and purposes, he he seemed happy about. Yeah. Or, or Uh, like sometimes with receivers, it's a combination of pay and mm-hmm. they're not getting the ball enough. They want to be in a different offense. We yeah, don't exactly. have to worry about that with Deshaun. Obviously, he's plenty. He's too. In, he's too involved in the offense. He was right. I think he was responsible for more of his team's points than anybody else in the NFL this year. Yeah, and and I guess the third one is that he he in general just doesn't strike me as like a really shrewd. And I, I mean, I'm saying this, I guess you know, with all due respect to him, because I don't think it's fair to expect most relatively young players in general, or even football players or athletes to be shrewd negotiators. Mm -hmm. That's not, you're not supposed to be both, you know, is someone supposed to do it on your behalf? And he doesn't strike me as a guy who is a really hostile, shrewd negotiator in general. So I feel like he's, are you you almost saying like shrewd with a negative connotation to it? No, not even negative. Just in so far as I don't know that, you know, I think two things can be true at once, right? Like he can be very unhappy with the situation he can want to get out, but he also maybe is not great at being able to navigate that whole dynamic himself. Right. Like he, he might want to get out, but I could see him just if for any other reason than just sort of, um, you know, the like the both the law of averages or it's just, uh, you know, what, what is it? What's like Newton's third law? It's like uh, Newton's know. third law. Yeah, I can tell you one, one two, the, four, seven, one? and nine, yeah, but uh, yeah. the third law eludes. Are we me. not doing light physics talk? Yeah, no. <laughs> I, I I guess what I'm saying is like I think the 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 stasis just kind of will remain. You know, like I don't think he'll, <laughs> he'll get out of here. Talk. The third law uh, states uh, that for every action in nature, oh, this one, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Yeah, so, that's not the so one. That's not the one I meant. <laughs> what were you trying Seth, to describe? Seth, I guess what I'm saying is like, uh, he strikes me as a guy that all things being equal, I think he's just going to stay where he is. Oh, you're like, thinking I of inertia. Think, inertia, there you go. That's yeah. what I was going for. I don't know I which to, law I that to, is. I wanted, I wanted like, body in motion stays in motion. Yeah, like I just don't think, he doesn't strike me as a guy who's a huge fan of dramatic change or upheaval. And I think like, it just doesn't seem like he's really that guy. Like it won't take that much work. And I don't want to give the Texans any credit and none. If he ends up staying, I think it's more a factor of, he just doesn't, he's not going to, he just didn't, he decided at some point, wait a second, this is going to be a huge hassle. Okay. I think he makes some valid points there. And it's Newton's first law that states that every object will remain at rest or in uniform motion in a straight line. That's kind of like the nose tackle theory the old school nose tackle theory. It's Newton law's first Newton's first law of motion. If you're just a big old fatty and you just sit there, nobody right. will move you. Yeah. Um, okay. Your first argument was that Deshaun hasn't made any direct statements. This is where I need your expertise because you're out there in the dating world, dating, dating, a, a probably a pretty broad mix of millennial women, Gen X women, maybe a mm. Gen Z woman here or there. You're like you're right in that sweet spot. I think you're, mm. are you right between millennials and Gen X? In terms of your, I, I am the, I'm technically the last year or, or I guess the first year of the millennial. Okay. Generous. I'm an elder. I'm a very elder millennial. When you're dating a Gen Zer, does it feel, do you feel like there's a generation gap? 
Uh, massively. Really? Yeah, for so sure. This, yeah, this when you're talking to question. somebody where you didn't have a phone until college. Yeah. yeah that is. <laughs> well, okay. So this is what I want to ask you, since we're talking about potential breakups. If somebody scrubs all mention of you from social media, like Deshaun Watson did with the Houston Texans, is that is that an acceptable method of breaking up amongst Gen Zers? That they pretty much they'll ghost you and then not mention you on and then scrub all mention on social media. Uh, I- I think it's acceptable because as anyone can tell from probably trying to ping me on Twitter, I don't even know how that looks or what that process is. <laughs> so a, a girl could ghost you, yeah, scrub completely. all mention from you from social media and you'd still be oblivious. You'd be like, yeah. okay, pick which up anyone who's dating knows the most satisfying way to really piss off an ex is to give zero Fs about anything that they do. <laughs> to you. So the fact that I didn't even notice they scrubbed me is just making their blood boil. So like if somebody scrubs you and then you don't, and then, and you you don't text or call them angry about it then then that drives them even crazier yeah exactly which is good because i so, mean when you when you kill your feelings over time that definitely has zero consequences long term okay so but what about deshaun scrubbing all mention of the houston texans from his social media are we so reading that, too much into that because i feel like no, even if he doesn't mean anything by that that's still yeah. it's like it, you know what it is it's unwarranted trolling of the fan base <laughs> if it doesn't mean anything in which case i would end up having to be a little angrier at deshaun than i currently am i'm not really angry at him at all other than i would like some clarity but but you think it's a big deal you with intimate knowledge of gen z's uh millennials yeah. and gen xers and i don't know maybe a baby boomer here or there um you believe that that is a big deal I don't think I definitely I don't want to overly minimize I don't think it's nothing as someone who was was you know not too you know pr- prior to covid was was coaching volunteer coaching high school kids which was just like a whole like can of worms difference between people that were closer to my age or when we you and I were playing yeah I mean you're having to deal with like a wild list of problems that you never thought about with respect to social media or anything else so it does mean something but like if this is a guy who's dead serious about getting out there and leave. I mean, look at all the other examples, the big name examples of guys who want to leave. This is not really what they're doing. They're being pretty direct. I mean, and they're throwing the team under the bus. Right. Well, aggressively, that's where, aggressively. That's, where, that's not really, I don't know. When, I mean, when we say it's not about the contract. So your second point was that it's not about the contract. And that's true. Also that actually for me is more of a warning flag because If it were the money, then you can fix that unless you're DeAndre Hopkins. If you're the money, then okay, then well, this is like the this is a normal kind of discontent. And Mm -hmm. we know how to negotiate our way through that, where when the money is taken care of, then it's more emotional in in with emotion. And what I always say is like, like, hey, divorce, divorce is a bad financial decision for most people, but emotion is tied up in it. So they're going to get divorced, even if they lose half of what they own because they just got to get out. What I worry is that because of the situation, because of whatever untold drama there is between Deshaun and the front office and ownership that he, if he's emotionally committed to this, that's a more dangerous, that's a guy that isn't necessarily going to be, uh, he's not going to be swayed by one and a half million dollars of fines in training camp or losing out on salary. If he's just flat out committed on getting out of there. I think, I think you're totally right. I mean, that's a really good point. I also think that he's the kind of guy that wa- he wants to, he wants to be satisfied by the conversation he's having with them. He wants uh-huh. to be, he wants them to reach out to him and fix it. And they're just so inept at doing it. They haven't yet. Well, they've but tried, I think, to, they've tried to I reach think out they'll to him, find a I way. 
Well, I think that he, I think what he, okay, now I'm doing a whole lot of like speculating, <laughs> but I, but I know, man, yeah. I know so, these yeah. people, these owner types and <laughs> yeah, these, right. these front yeah. office types. I, get um, it. I think that there have been times where sometimes ownership or management thinks they're listening and thinks they understand where you're coming from, where they flat out don't have a clue. And, and I'll say when, when they were trying to reach out to Dwayne Brown um, during the first year when Dwayne Brown ended up holding out and there were a lot of this is when social justice was really kicking in. Colin mm-hmm. Kaepernick was a huge hot button issue. I can remember that. I can remember Bob McNair did a press conference with Dwayne Brown and a bunch of police leaders. They had all gotten together, you know, to try to uh, talk about community outreach and everything. And I remember Bob McNair getting up and, and delivering this statement and saying, basically, well, you know, uh, people just need to understand that the police are there to help them. And they just need to like, almost like putting all the onus on people in the black community that they need to understand that the police are there to help them. And, and it was just, there was obviously a disconnect there and, and it got really yeah. ugly between Dwayne Brown and Bob McNair. And, you know, and, and McNair was trying, he was genuinely trying to listen and and, and maybe come to a common understanding, but the gap was so wide Absolutely. that it wasn't going to happen. These are different issues and different reasons, but I do think that I think Deshaun tried to say it as clearly as possible at the end of the season and maybe in his private conversations with Cal McNair. But if, if the reports are to be, be believed, then maybe he's just done with the Texans completely and it's beyond the point of no repair, which brings us to this. Dan Cilio, sports media dude, tweeted out yesterday that people close to Deshaun Watson are saying that Deshaun is not going to participate in any of the offseason activities, OTAs, minicamps, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call them. David Mulligetta, who is Deshaun Watson's agent, replied to that tweet, quote tweeted it, and I don't have it in front of me, but basically he said, <laughs> he made a joke about it, like a, a source uh, I'm sources close to David Mulligetta, that source being me, David Mulligetta, say that this report is wrong. <laughs> uh, as and I'm a, I'm paraphrasing, as are a lot of the other reports that are out there, or many of the reports that are out there. Right. So that clarifies just a little bit, but I think some people here in Houston ran with that and said, "Well, look, it's uh, it's all fake. Deshaun's not wanting a trade." But David Mulligetta didn't deny the report that they had already officially requested a trade. I think he's just trying to tamp the brakes a little bit and saying, well, look, like we're not at the point where anybody's holding out yet. We're just, uh, we're just, we've, we've voiced our concerns. And I, that, I do look at that as a little bit of a, a ray of light that maybe there's some hope, maybe just any, it's almost like an olive branch from David Mulligetta, the agent, but David Mulligetta was the agent for Jalen Ramsey, when Jalen Ramsey worked his way out mm-hmm. of Jacksonville. And, and for those of you that don't know or remember that Jalen Ramsey wanted out of a, what he thought was a, a bad situation in Jacksonville and it steadily rose and like the tension steadily rose over the course of seemed like two full seasons where he had some run-ins with, with Tom Coughlin. And then he was going to, th- in, in the next off season, he was threatening to hold out, but then he showed up the camp, but things stayed testy. And Jalen Ramsey at one point got a mysterious back injury during the season. Ultimately, mm-hmm. he got traded. So as, as far as your third point that Deshaun's not perhaps a shrewd negotiator, I think David Mulligetta is. My question would be, is Deshaun right. 
is Deshaun willing to do that thing that Jalen Ramsey or Earl Thomas, Earl Thomas, oh boy, Earl Thomas is another David Mulligan agent. And Earl Thomas kind of did not go out gracefully from Seattle. I don't think Deshaun's willing to go that far and be be like a pain in the ass teammate. I don't either. Like James Harden show up and be out of shape and just detached from the team. Exactly. Which is unfortunate because, you know, more often than not, I think that would, would have behooved Deshaun if he had behaved a little more that way earlier on. If he had just like maybe spoken up when, boy, uh, like when absolutely he was early, doing all early his shenanigans and yeah. everything. it's hard it's hard but you know how it is he didn't he's not aware of the leverage i don't think that he has i mean he had so much leverage especially early on but now you do just get the impression that you know the the machine just kept on turning in the front office with jack easterby and with cal mcnair and he is just fully has his hooks in cal and yeah. it doesn't look like that's going to change anytime soon. And I just don't know how comfortable Deshaun Watson is with doing anything else. And by saying he's not a shrewd negotiator, that's truly not a slight. I don't think he's supposed to be. I mean, no, that's not a, his job. Player, it's not his job. when it comes to this front office stuff, you know how it is. You just kind of watch what the moves yeah. that they make. And you hear gossip every now and then. But for the most part, you just you sit like a fan, really, with a lot of the front office moves. Right. And I don't think that maybe until things got to the end here and because one of the things we've been talking about is okay how premeditated was all of this we had one caller this morning who thought that when Deshaun signed his contract back in August that this was the power play that he was planning that doesn't make a whole lot of sense just because for one Deshaun he opened a restaurant then he's planning to open a chain of restaurants here this lefty's cheesesteak that he's bringing down from Detroit I don't think you do that while you're also planning on forcing your way out at the end of the no, season. No, that, that tracks as like a fun plot point in a story, like in season two, you yeah. know, <laughs> but that doesn't track as something that's some, like what a real person does, you know, it's just and, not. Right, right. And then also uh, like week 17, the last game, right. a lot of people were pushing for Deshaun just to sit out so you don't get injured. And he was adamant that he's going to play. Exactly. I don't think that's a move you pull. I think that, I think right up until he thought. Or that, defending Bill O'Brien. I mean, he was defending. Right. O'Brien all the time consistently yeah. throughout. Okay, so are are you still are you still optimistic that he's going to stick around or Yeah, I'm optimistic. I mean, am like I going to be shocked by anything that happens with a highly dysfunctional organization? No. No. But I but I would be surprised if he didn't end up there. I mean, have you ever been seems... taken in by somebody like Jack Easterby? Somebody that like promises you that hey, I've I've got the plan, I've got the vision and just just stick by me and listen to me and we'll uh, we'll take this world by storm. We'll be out of the box <laughs> thinkers. We'll be revolutionary. What? I don't think so. I mean, one of the benefits of being raised in a really highly dysfunctional family situation is you you have a great nose for uh, like snake oil salesman later oh, in life. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, you've you been lied to pretty before. Quick. You've oh, been yeah. told, yeah, like, exactly oh yeah, we're going to Disney like. World, right? Yeah, I'm like, dude, buddy, you cannot. When you don't come from like a life of extreme wealth and privilege, you see those guys <laughs> really quick. Which is why I think a lot of the players are looking at Cal like, buddy, oh. this is all our dads. Like, you know what? You know what? I think you just hit on something right there when you said you don't come from a life of wealth and privilege. Because obviously, Cal McNair, the owner, comes from a life of wealth and privilege. Although, I know, like, Bob McNair wasn't super rich while Cal was growing up, I don't think. I think, like, he's always been a white guy in Texas. And when you spend 50 (laughs) years being rich, like, come on, man. He spent five decades being uber wealthy. This is not like. But I wonder if part of Jack Easterby's appeal is talking to guys like Bill O'Brien, because Bill O'Brien brought him in, right? 
talking to guys like Bill O'Brien and Nick Casario and perhaps Cal McNair, the owner of the Texans, I wonder if it's that, hey, I'm a conduit to the players and I yeah. understand the players and I get these guys exactly. and, and to those guys who are so terrified and scared of these Gen Z kids and they've got all the money and how are we going to control mm-hmm. everything that maybe that's, maybe that's well, the elixir. He's, he's, that they he's, think. he's religious and he comes <laughs> from new England. Yeah. I mean, I'm not like, let's be real. Like he's, he's got the, that he can sell that to a guy like Cal probably pretty easy. And I base all of this on almost no evidence. So <laughs> no, yeah, no evidence that he actually does any of yeah, these things or I knows no anything. Idea. Right. I have no idea. Well, like, I read you know, look yeah. um this book Start with Why. It's a big real successful business book. Like people like guys TED Talk that uh, the okay. from the author is one of the best ones of all time. Which is uh, he Jack Easterby. And for those of you that don't know, I apologize. He's the vice president or he's the director of football operations for the Texans or they changed his title recently, but he's this person of intrigue who was a chaplain in Kansas city, ended up being a character coach in new England and somehow finagled his way into being hired here as a director of team development. And he's been the center of a whole lot of controversy because people have gotten fired. Players have been traded. Everything's been mayhem since Jack Easterby showed up and people are trying to figure out exactly how he got there because when you ask anybody so far when we've asked people in the organization what does Jack Easterby do and what is he good at we almost universally get answers like he's he's really good with people and uh he does a lot of stuff well he just uh and and this is the key you know he's he's helped advise me and helped me get through uh, some problems that I've had to work out. And I think that's the thing is mm. he's he's really good at working with individuals on an individual one-by-one basis, but then somehow he translates that or or tries to translate that into, hey, by the way, I can do this for the whole team because I understand people. And the, the, the book that I was reading, Start With Why, one of the big points in there is their, uh, the, the whole first section is kind of talking about the marketing of a company and how it's more important to explain why you exist as a company and why somebody would want your, um, mm-hmm. want your product instead of explaining what your product is. Yep. So with Apple computers, they use Apple as a test model because there's no better way to look like you're smart at business than to say like, well, this is how Apple did it. And you can be exactly like Apple. That a lot of times people are so emotionally connected to Apple products that when you ask them why do they like Apple, you know, a lot of people can't even really define it. They almost just look at it as part of their identity because Apple does such a good job of marketing. It is these, you know, people who are on it innovate and people who want to change the world and people are just flatter, flat out cooler than PC people. Um, so I think that's what Jack Easterby is to those guys. I think that he's somehow created this emotional impression on them that they can't, they can't even explain why they think he's good or why he's important for the organization, which is a strange, strange state of affairs for somebody who's making $3 million a year. Exactly. Yeah, yeah it is. Which is, which is, I was thinking about this earlier where I, it would be awesome if, because you are more engaged uh, with Twitter and you probably know how it actually functions as a platform. If you sent out, a request from pretty much anybody to just submit like hypothetical outlook calendars for Jack Easterby from like Monday to Friday. Like what is he physically doing? Yeah. <laughs> Monday to Friday, well, because so- you can take a call with, I'm sure he's taking multiple calls with Cal, but he, he's not doing them from eight to five every day. Like right. what is he doing? The other, is it like 
he just physically walks around the building. That's exactly and it. shakes hands from he, eight he to five. Like, what around is he, from department? What is he department. actually doing? He's and not he's, evaluating contracts. He sprinkles it. No, he negotiates contracts. He negotiated oh, Deshaun's God. contract and gave him that that um that that no trade clause that's kind of might potentially screw them. Um he he has done those things, but there's no evidence that he's done them well. You know, okay, we'll right. make Deshaun Watson the second highest paid quarterback and actually give him not that long of a contract and we'll give him a no trade clause. Okay, well, did you did you do that well? Did you negotiate that contract well? Like, no, you didn't. So I don't know. The the other question that comes up out of all of this, and Mike Meltzer, my old co-host, asked this of me the other day. He said, Are what like at what point is it is it as simple as when a star player wants to be traded and demands a trade that teams just pretty much have to acquiesce to it? Because at some point, doesn't it seem like teams are going to have to put their foot down? And we were trying right. to think of the last star athlete that demanded a trade, like big-time star athlete that demanded a trade and didn't get it. Really, the only one we could come up with, and I don't know what the Carson Wentz situation is quite right now, but hes I wouldn't put him in the same category as an, no. an actual star athlete because maybe if he was coming off of his really good season, maybe. Um, but Kobe Bryant in 2007 demanded a trade, and it looked like there was no hope. He was just done with the organization. Somebody had leaked information about him wanting to get Shaq out of there. So he was demanding a trade. The team traded for Pau Gasol. And, you know, and, and with that move and a few other things, Kobe was, Kobe was satisfied. So I guess he wasn't traded. The team did make some moves. Maybe they would have made it anyway. I don't remember mm -hmm. it as at, at, that well. But that's the last time in... 13, 14 years. Beyond that, I think when when star players decide to to leverage themselves and if they show that they're committed to staying out, I think the locker room effect and the 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 problem of having your best player be actively battling the team and disliking the team. I think most teams just freak out about that. It just, and, but doesn't it just feel like a different situation? Just in insofar as Deshaun's a different kind of personality. Yeah. And the other players on the Texans, at least from, you know, what I've seen, it, it just seems like there's not as much of an element of discontent from any of the other players. Like he's not going to lose the other players in his battle with the front office. And it's a new coach who just came in, who, who knows what that, that guy's head is spinning. I mean, it has to be. You'd think yeah, so. He looked like he was be. in denial at the press conference. They asked Completely. Him if he knew yeah. anything about Deshaun, the, the Deshaun Watson situation during the interview. And he said, no, oh, I think it, he's going to be the, he's going to be here. Right. He's under contract. He's <laughs> yeah. Like, All right. yeah. He was <laughs> like, I also am disappointed that Dune isn't coming out when it's supposed to. And I love a lot of that guy's movies. Denis Villeneuve, great director. And you're just like, I'm what, you know, that's a good point though, Drew. Okay. With the Texans, and so far the Texans haven't shown that they really have a spine on this stuff. They gave in to Dwayne Brown eventually when Dwayne Brown held out. Um, the 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 financial penalties are a lot higher, but if Deshaun got fined about a million and a half to two million for missing training camp, like if he missed all of training camp, that would be what he'd get fined. Then he would miss all mm -hmm. his game checks during the season. He still stands to make several hundred million dollars in his career after this season. So then it becomes a question of okay, well, would the Texans actually make him hold out for multiple seasons. That's where I'd say precedent would say no. Usually, you know, whether it's Le'Veon Bell or Antonio Brown or any of these guys, at some point the team capitulates. 
but this is the Texans we're talking about. Yeah. So that's, yeah, it's like yeah, the chaos um, theory. You know, you're just Deshaun, kind of like you're negotiating with a crazy person. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Don't negotiate with crazy. If if Deshaun were to come back and play, but be disgruntled, I think you've got a really good point there in that maybe it would be kind of like a major league the movie situation where yeah the the players are in open defiance of the front office and ownership but they love Deshaun they're going to play the, David this David Culley guy seems like a genuinely good dude at least mm -hmm. I don't know how good of a coach he is but maybe they figure some way out to to forge ahead with that the other big issue in my world right now is this courtside Karen this uh, this courtside Karen <laughs> got into it with LeBron yeah the Hawks game last night yeah. and I don't I don't know if you saw I've watched like eight different videos of courtside Karen so <laughs> I've, I've seen it from all angles and for anybody who yeah. hasn't seen it, there was a, there was a little bit of a kerfuffle at the, uh, the along the, the front row of the Hawks game, the Lakers Hawks game. And it, it looked like this blonde lady who was done up to the nines was getting into it with LeBron James. She was turning around. She was doing like the little hand waves and everything. Um, looking every bit, the Karen that she is. And, LeBron was talking to them a little bit. There's a whole John Boy breakdown of this. I'm not usually a big fan of John Boy, but this is probably the, the best one, uh, best way to search it. Uh, it. It sounds like LeBron was getting harassed by this woman's husband, Courtside Karen's husband. Courtside Karen wasn't paying attention. And all of a sudden she realizes, oh, wait a second, LeBron's saying something to my husband. So she stands up, starts, uh, starts yapping to LeBron. The officials come over, they intervene, and basically the 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 woman and her husband and i think two other people are thrown out i and i'm not clear at this point if they were thrown out because of the disruption or because they refused to put their masks back on while they were screaming at lebron and everything but one one thing that courtside karen said in her videos afterwards was that lebron called her some kind of bitch i don't remember if it was a stupid bitch or a bleeping effing bitch or something but it was some kind of a bitch that part didn't seem right to me it seemed like okay LeBron's pretty savvy about this stuff. He doesn't get overly angry. Like he seems like he's usually pretty in control. And in those arenas where there's very few fans, you can hear everything. Like, so LeBron knows, LeBron knows that any video of him calling a woman a bitch is going to get chopped up and diced and sent out there and look yeah. really bad for him. Yeah. So the only thing that, that, that John boy could see was he called the husband who's uh, I believe 54 years old. And, and looks like he's trying a little too hard to look like he's 24 years old, mm -hmm. um, including by being married to a 25-year-old woman. But right. uh, LeBron called him um, old steroid ass. That's what he called him. He called him an old steroid ass. And uh, yeah, and which is which is disappointing from from LeBron. Yeah, that, I mean that the insult was kind of like the most disappointing element of all this the old I'm steroid ass. Like, yeah i'm like you're better than that lebron i mean you're just you, you this is not your first time being heckled you just feel like he's got a he's probably incurred like every kind of situation heckling situation he should have like three in his back pocket that he could just pull out on short or like your classic just, old steroid ass guy. yeah yeah there is something anybody listening right now like there's uh there's hormone replacement and whatnot and there's you know whatever you do for your workout <laughs> I would say you do have to be careful with steroids. Like guys that have, guys that, that get a little aggressive with the steroids, it it screws up your skin bad. You end up looking like a lizard. Like if you keep doing it, I'm look. I'm old enough now. I'm 45 years old. I know guys that have been doing cycles since they were 
18 and they look leathery <laughs> like they're in great they're oh, in phenomenal sure. shape but man it takes a toll on you over time. and you assume that there's just like several other things going on like it all works together in like a mickey rourke kind of melting pot where it's yeah. like they're probably also tanning and then they're probably also just like shaving all their body hair including their eyebrows there's just like a weird situation going on but the, the moral of the story is i kind of feel like if it's a he said she said between lebron and this karen who like maybe has the most aggressive hair extensions i've seen in a while um i just feel like i'm gonna go up their hair extensions i think mostly just because it it literally looks like they're velcroed on from like oh really several feet away yeah Yeah. just i mean the the side angle i i mean and you know i've also like i've dated enough women at this point to like be able to pick (laughs) them out like a lineup i'm like that those are extensions have you ever had like an an extension incident like where the extensions come out on a date or anything oh for sure yeah yeah 100 there was i I went on i went on a date where a girl literally she left to go to use the bathroom uh-huh. She was walking away and I couldn't, it looked like something was going on on her, her seat when she left. And I looked over and a hair extension fell oh. out of the back of her hair and was sitting on her seat when she got back. Did you, it seems like the gentlemanly thing to do would have been to grab it so she could be spared the embarrassment of seeing her. Or did you just act like you didn't see it? Like I, I would have. Well, I don't know how expensive they could be. So I left oh. it on the table so she could see it when she got back um i know actually i i kept it i took it home and i turned it into a voodoo doll you should have had it you should have either worn it as a mustache when she returned <laughs> or had, had it like you should have tucked it I into swe- your, i swept you it across like it was a uh, like a comb over like across my forehead tucked it into your belt like it was a tuft of pubic hair <laughs> In some kind of a yeah, sign that you had glorious blonde pubic hair, just yeah. that it matched her extensions. All right, so you're not. I'm not buying that she. I'm not buying that she was called a bitch by LeBron. No way. Hey, I am buying that her husband is an old steroid ass because he had the leathery skin. Yeah, the I other, completely buy that. There's, the there's other almost one, nothing you could angle at those two people that I wouldn't believe. Like, <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. That tracks. There's you were a, you were at the Capitol three weeks ago. I believe it. The other one I want to get a buy or sell on you is this Gronk. Gronk did this video. I can't remember what show he was on, but they asked him about these the virtual workouts that they had to do in the off season. And one of the things that that Tampa had to do was take videos of themselves working out and then send them to the strength coach. So Gronk claims, Gronk <laughs> claims that what he would do because they only had to send a couple of the videos of each drill they were doing. Gronk said that he showed up to one workout and with like four different T-shirts. And then would run a couple sprints with one t-shirt, then rather not run another sprint with another couple t-shirts. And that he just saved those. And that way he didn't have to film them every time. He didn't say that he didn't do the workouts, but he said that he, he'd sent them to the strength coach and the strength coach was none the wiser. I'm not sure if I'm buying that one because it's too, uh, it's, I, I don't know. I just, I, I don't, that feels like a whole lot of work for Gronk who's going to work out anyway. And I, I can't imagine that it was actually that big of a pain in the ass for him to film a couple of reps. I mean, which part don't you believe that he, he, you don't think he would do it because it would be too much work. I almost feel like he would do it because why, why wouldn't he, why wouldn't Uh he do it? Because it sounds like something he would do. And he could just be goofy. He would do it just to tell the story about it. And he thought it was a funny joke and nobody's like, what's going to happen to him? Is the strength coach going to go up to Arians? We're like, I can't, I tell you, we get it. Can't can't play Gronk this year. <laughs> he wasn't he wasn't totally. taking his workout I mean, seriously. And clearly, he seems like a guy who just feels so empowered at this point of his career. Like he already had retired. Yeah, he doesn't really care. I mean, he's it just seems in it for like the Super Bowl completely. He's right. he's getting exactly what he 
if he hadn't gotten that reception last week, I don't think it would have bothered him one bit. And no. he's happy to be out there and block and just be be gronk and enjoy the enjoy living in Florida where he's oh totally. Long. I, I do like thinking of like just the scenario where the strength coach is just like by himself looking at his laptop, watching all the films on repeat and breaking it down like it's a Zapruder film and trying to see like <laughs> like there's a different there's this same bird flying by in four different frames and he's like oh my god, uh, he these are fake. His he's girl, like, you know, it's just like he can see like the sun is like setting in the exact same way. He's like, I've been, I've been had. Yeah. What uh, somebody was saying that metadata would have sold him out, and I don't know what that means, except that I, I think that's the. Oh, if you, you can look. <laughs> yeah, I don't I either. Think, I have I no idea what, what does that even just mean. Dumb meatheads here. I think <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure that means that everything has a stamp. You know, any kind of digital videos got some kind of a time stamp on it. So I mean, that might that. be true, but I also guarantee that strength coach doesn't know how to do it. So <laughs> no way. <laughs> and he definitely fine. wasn't doing it with 75 guys that were working yeah. out in the. Uh, and of all, and yeah. if he was, he wasn't doing it with Gronk. Gronk like, isn't he, trying to. He's not trying to win over like an independent, like judicial agency that's trying to break. <laughs> it's just not. You're thinking too much. He's cheating on his taxes. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's not, it's, it's all fine. right. This is the one. This is relevant for the Steelers fans. That uh, look. Obviously, Ben Roethlisberger didn't have his best year. And he was coming off of not Tommy John surgery, but something kind of like Tommy John surgery. Ed Bichette, longtime media guy there in Pittsburgh, uh, said that Ben Roethlisberger just told me, quote, I don't care about my pay at all this year, unquote. And he's willing to restructure a contract that has a $41 million cap hit for 2021 that includes $19 million in bonus and salary that can be restructured. Are you buying or selling that he doesn't care about money at all? Uh, I'm definitely not buying that he doesn't care at all, but you know, hyperbole is goes, you know, can, can be taken a lot of different ways in probably that situation. I'm totally buying that. He probably, it's not a priority, right? I, I mean, I completely a- buy that. He'll probably take a huge pay cut. I would think, I mean, at that point, especially because he yeah, is, I mean, he's not, he's not oblivious. <laughs> well, I say, I say that, I mean, he might be oblivious to his own, you know, his own style of play at this point and like what he's really bringing to the table. He might be a little bit, but I mean, still it's, it's clear that he's not the same guy that he was several years ago, but he can still, I mean, you think he, if he can get it done, if Tom Brady's taking the Super Bowl, you have a strong defense and the other key players, I mean, he could get it done. They can still get there. I think, I think his version of not caring at all about pay is that, Hey, I'll take whatever Brady yeah. is making yeah. the 20 or $25 million a year, which did, it's still a lot of money. I, yeah, yeah um, I agree. Okay. <laughs> Punxsutawney uh, Phil saw his shadow. That means, I think that means six more weeks of winter. Are you buying or selling that there are six more weeks of winter based on that? B- based on the Punxsutawney the, Phil seeing his shadow. The beaver's feedback. Am yes. I buying that yeah. that's a, th- yeah, I, I guess I'm believing that winter will continue. Yeah. I, I don't know. I've that. never, I honestly haven't grown up in that region. I've never understood this because it's February 1st or February 2nd. Yeah, there's always six more weeks of winter. There's never I've like I I have I have walked to school in the snow in May before. Right. Like if March, middle of March is winter is never over in the middle of March. Ever. No, you might have some nice spring days or something, but you're gonna get snow at some point. Yeah, I also realize it's it's 
it's not a beaver it's a groundhog isn't it and, and yeah. do we think like was that was this anywhere near as much of a thing before groundhog day or did is it has it always been this i remember i feel like that movie really kind of no i remember that it was a big deal at least like, i don't know i mean i think people always knew that it was just a stupid silly tradition but it was i can remember being a kid in school um and talking in New about York, that and, just, and they would talk yeah, about it yeah yeah that's where your tax dollars at work there people <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly in third grade we went we spent three weeks on punxatani phil that's brutal no uh yeah so i don't i'm not buying that either so there's a whole bunch of bogus uh bogus stuff out there i do think that court courtside karen's gonna be a thing since since you and i like doing this and since we we're talking about jack easterby today i wanted to share with you this list i found six habits of people with high social skills. So Jack Easterby, the executive for the Texans, this guy that supposedly has high social skills. I'm not so sure he does or is, uh, does have high social skills. I think myself, I think I've got pretty good social skills, but I, I, I wasn't naturally born that way. I really had to like work my ass off at it over time instead Same. of just being kind of a douchebag all the time. So I've turned out like, I haven't stopped being a douchebag, but I've learned how to quell it really, really well. Oh yeah, no, you've you've gotten a hold of it over the last several years. I've noticed. Thanks. Yeah, Christmas. no, it's. Yeah. I'm you put impressed. that on my Christmas card last year. It was nice. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, Seth, that's my that's my sign off on my on my email now. Less of less slightly less of a douchebag. This one, um, this is a good one. I I kind of expected. I've noticed this. I I, I subscribed to Medium.com. I think it's like five bucks a month, and they've got a bunch of really good articles in there. But I also noticed I. I I've tapped into some kind of their algorithm has recognized me now as a guy that wants all these like self-help lists and everything. It's yeah. getting kind of annoying because they are all, most of them are just repurposed from some other book. You know, they just take the out, they take the top like table of contents from some book and, and just reshuffle it around. But this one, this one I thought was pretty good because the first item was one I didn't expect. He said they practice mindfulness. Highly sociable people remain grounded in the moment. Details are crucial to building deeper relationships. What, what I took from that was, especially when you're talking to people, you like picture yourself at a party, especially. Never be the person who's got one eye over the shoulder of the person you're talking to. You right. know, trying to scan the room. <clears throat> always, always as much as you can when you're, when you're talking to somebody, be just in that conversation. Because people pick up on that. And they're very flattered by it. Without ever giving them a direct compliment, they'll be very flattered by the fact that you're fully engaged in their conversation. I, yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I don't know. And this is, I mean, it is, it's probably rampant in, in a lot of different industries. I feel like it was always very common in, I noticed with coaches. I mean, I remember Sherman was always this way too. It was like, he was looking through you as though you were transparent <laughs> and he was just aching for any kind of out for oh. someone to walk by behind you so he could just like <laughs> exit as quickly and you were just like yeah oh how are things going and you already knew before he even finished the sentence that he was already thinking about 10 other things and could care less yeah some of those you know, some like, of those guys you can totally tell are just they know they have to check off that box like i think it's good to go talk to the players and ask <laughs> yeah. how they're doing i read <laughs> somewhere you should pretend to care about others like, but not, yes, I don't I want to get too close, but I'm going to hang out with this guy. Now go hang out with this guy for a while. Yeah. I don't yeah. want to build a relationship because eventually I'll have to cut this guy or maybe he'll die. So I don't really want to um, get close. All right. Number two, they practice active listening. I feel like that's a little bit about the, the mindful behavior too, but especially the, the big one in this in radio, I've really learned, like I've had to hone it is just be sure you're not 
waiting your turn to speak as the other person is talking, even if you're kind of passively listening, like the goal should always be, oh, I'm going to build on something they're saying, because they're going to say something at least mildly interesting. And I'm going to talk, I'm going to respond to that instead of, you know, dishing out whatever argument I heard on the cable news station this morning. I want to like genuinely have a conversation and listen to this person. I'm, I, yeah, I'm the exact same way too. Where it's 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 a it's it's not a skill that comes naturally to me. I have to really work on it in the yeah. moment. And when you meet people who just have that gift, it just becomes so transparent to you right away that they're good at it. You yeah. just know you're like, wow, this guy's just got it. I mean, he's just born with that. It's like I'm I'm envious of people who can do that. Number three, they are interested in people's stories. As Dale Carnegie once said, you can make more friends in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you. I don't believe that. That's really? one that I, I throw that one out the window. Okay. I, I do not agree with that. Why not? Why? No. I think you get way further being extremely interesting. Hmm. Way further. Okay. I mean, I think that but you have to be. Gen- but a lot of people think they're like they're way more interesting than that. Like the person who talks about themselves nonstop. Like that person thinks they're interesting, but they're not necessarily interesting. I guess. But or but the person who's talking like holding forth on another topic other than themselves. Okay, I see what you're. I but see you're mentioning. You're yeah, I mean, what you're framing it as someone who's bad at perceive at coming off as interesting. Okay. If you're, yeah. if you're good at it. Yeah. Then, then that's far more compelling. Like a good history yeah. professor, like a, yeah. like a, like some of those professors. I had some in some of my teachers in high school were super interesting people, and they might not they might they might not be awesome to be around all the time because they were more like I don't know, just either self centered or not nice people or what have you. But when they're in that moment and talking about a topic that they're good at talking about, they are very very interesting. Of course, like who are you going to hire at your company? I mean, if you're in a job interview what's more, it's all about context right but if you're in a job interview what's more interesting the guy who's sitting there like and who, who seems like a great listener who's willing yeah. to hear the background it's like no you want to hire the guy who seems dynamic and interesting and compelling it probably depends i mean because different companies have different cultures and they're looking for different things i Fair. i would yeah you know true. what i think though too is it's not important necessarily to be interested in the person that you're talking to i mean that is important you know for good back and forth and everything but you can be interesting to be interesting, you have to be interested in something like you have to be passionate about something. So if right. somebody like on any given topic, if I'm going to listen to Elon Musk talk about electric cars, you know, obviously he's an expert. That's going to be interesting. But the reason he's an expert and how he got to be an expert is like he's incredibly interested in that kind of stuff. So I think yeah, that's he's, the, he's passionate. Yeah. So being, just being like curious and interested in stuff. This is a number four. They are curious about others. So this is. I feel like that's a little bit that's kind of the same as interested right yeah there's a there's a lot of overlap between those this last two really sucks. this should have been a list of three i was just trying to <laughs> try to milk it you trying to milk this list are you giving sub bullets to the same um, main bullet this is, a, this is a tough one they have a sense of humor and he spelled it with a u so now i know it's a brit and he's really annoying me so oh, uh, i'm just joking so dry. The he's I'm, so I'm, dry. I'm joking to the six british downloads i had last month so <laughs> they have a sense of humor you could be canadian i suppose um that's a tough one because some people just don't have a sense of humor i think that i do think that sometimes the sense of humor is at the very least being open and willing to laugh at other people and being aware of when people are joking and not taking things too seriously just kind of like a a humorous mentality or disposition 
Yeah, or being self-deprecating. Not, ah, not, you know, that's a good one. I mean, I feel like that's a big one. That's a big part of it is not, not being able to, you know, take things too personally, not being overly sensitive in any kind of moment. I mean, that's that, a big thing. That's, that's so uh, off-putting when someone in any kind of social setting just seems like their feelings are hurt. about Our Scottish friend here, our Scottish friend here has redeemed himself because he says people with a well-developed sense of humor can laugh with, not at others. Even more important, they can laugh at themselves. So when laughing at yourself, when laughing at yourself, be sure not to cross the line into self-deprecation or become so derogatory in your view or opinion of yourself that you inadvertently lose, geez, buddy, this is a a paragraph about humor, that you inadvertently lose your sense of self-worth or lower your self-esteem. All right, you've lost me again, Britt. Yeah. This this is the whole, this whole notion that you can't be self-deprecating because it's bad for your self-esteem. Don't, don't fall for that. It's endearing and charming to be self-deprecating. Well, it's I, it's more so than you'll inadvertently make yourself feel terrible. I'm like, sure, yeah. If we're if we take anything to the furthest possible conclusion, we will all end up in a ditch somewhere. Like I get it, <laughs> but like no, that's, that's like pretty obvious. If but you it's make more a good like, joke, and somebody says, "Don't say that." I, we talked about this already a couple weeks yeah, ago. See, I told you that about this yourself. advice is popping up everywhere, and it's driving <laughs> me insane. This is Thomas Oppong. I don't want to. Uh, I, I, I didn't. I realized I didn't say who the author was before. Um, but that's uh, yeah. Be self-deprecating, but don't I don't be the person that's digging for compliments. Well, that's what that, you, you don't want to be like going no, like, well, I mean, no. I could never wear that that suit. I'm not handsome enough. You know? Oh, I yes, could I could are. never pull that off with this body. Like okay, yeah. Well, right. Now I now I got to look at your body. And <laughs> compliment you on it. it's, now it's weird. Greg Williams yeah. looking doughy bastard. Yeah. Uh, number six, they show empathy. And then they cite Theodore Roosevelt, a man who was very interesting and hardly listened to anybody else at all. Exactly. Theodore yeah, a guy who, who ended up, up becoming president. He yeah. would talk. There was some boxer yeah. once that went in for a meeting with Theodore Roosevelt. And apparently he was in for like two hours talking to Roosevelt. He came out and... <laughs> And they said, well, what did you uh, what did you say to Mr. Roosevelt? And the boxer said, I told him my name. And that was about it. <laughs> it's just two hours of Theodore Roosevelt holding court, talking it, to this, yeah. telling this professional boxer about boxing. And isn't he like, I feel like that's a great example of one of those things where what would all of the mythology around him hold if that were like present day? It's like, I don't know. I don't know if that's all. I mean, I'm sure he was an extremely well-rounded, compelling oh. guy. But like, did he really do all those things in exactly the way that it went down? Maybe there was I've got some a, I've got a theory there. about Theodore Roosevelt. I, I got to deliver the quote first. Theodore Roosevelt once said no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care and that's why empathy is important so i think with theodore roosevelt there are a few people theodore roosevelt is one of them ernest hemingway is another oh there's another example i can't think of i was just this occurred to me while i was driving the other day um it's that you get oh 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 uh suge knight is the other one you get so much mileage out of being kind of a burly man or at least kind mm-hmm. of a burly man in an arena where there are no burly men. So like Ernest Hemingway, like, I don't know if he was a, I don't think he was a good boxer at all. He just boxed. Right. And he went to war. He was an ambulance driver in the Spanish revolution. You know, he just, uh, it, there, it wasn't, it wasn't yeah. like he was particularly great <clears throat> at 
combat or anything or that right. he was a particularly good boxer but he's hanging around with a bunch of writers you know so in that world he was this larger than life figure that embodied oh, yeah. everything that people thought a man was in the 1920s and 30s uh, Theodore Roosevelt likewise you know high society guy that goes off to goes out takes up boxing knows how to box goes out west and hangs out with cowboys for a couple of years so by the time he comes back he's got this aura about him when he's hanging out in high society yeah this guy might as well be this guy the, like the the great hunter from africa or something mm -hmm. and then suge knight suge knight was you know until he showed up in in hollywood and started intimidating people in the music industry and whatnot it wasn't now he obviously got into other issues and everything but i think that <laughs> the thing you really that, you really glossed over the fact that he actually was a gangbanger and well uh, no but I, no i know people that i know people that were uh with him in uh, as a college football player and he wasn't like he wasn't like oh, a badass college football player or anything yeah like like no more so than the guys who actually were tough on the team, right probably. right but when you yeah. show up in the music industry yeah. and you're a huge dude mm -hmm. and now the, the presence of firearms and everything changes anything in any avenue of life and the willingness to use them but he was this yeah. larger than life guy in the music industry where everybody weighs 125 pounds and they haven't slept in three days because of all right. the, the 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 drugs so i think that there's that <laughs> <laughs> you can go on and on you can find so there's something to be said for just being the big and being the being the person that well, has kind of some martial skills and maybe some kind of a physique or something in an arena where there aren't a lot of people like that yeah i mean in in business kind of that like hyper masculine persona i think does help especially like it's it exponentially has an impact when you're in an industry that is not that way yeah but i mean in general if your ability to seem like an outlier in a sea of people who are just completely um monolithic and that's it's 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 big no matter what the difference is it doesn't necessarily have to be like hyper male or anything else i mean it's like when you're you know even now like there's this nerd culture effect that's going on and when you're like the nerd in a completely different kind of space too i mean you've seen it in football where it's like there's all these wonderkins like yeah god this guy's a genius and i'm like is he though yeah, I mean, no, oh, yeah. I'm not saying he's not smart. He no, is no, intelligent. No. The you're, guy's you're very exactly intelligent. Exactly right. But There's, when you put him in a different place, the level you know. of math that a lot of these guys you're using is not actually all that complicated or anything. You know, it's just that they're using it in an arena where we're we're a bunch of cavemen. You know, pounding our fists on computers trying to get them to work, and these guys just can they they can do some really intelligent and bright stuff. The most annoying part of that, though, too, is, is, is a whole there's this whole cast of football writers who want to seem really smart because they're into the oh, analytics, yeah. but then they misapply yeah. the analytics every chance yep. they get. You know, it's just, that part yeah. is that part's annoying. Yeah. Well, you and I both benefit from it, too. I think to some extent, I mean, you obviously more so than I, because you went to Cornell and I went to Arizona State. So, but <laughs> I think part of that. I know there's a lot of people that worked against you for a while because people oh, were like, brutal. Oh, another brutal. nerd from Arizona State. Yeah, yeah. Another one of these eggheads from ASU. It's like, <laughs> okay. All right, oh, I get it. I get the it. other little career hack, aside, aside from getting all yoked up and going to work in the English lit department, uh, this <laughs> right. is the other career hack. You can you can either go bully the English lit department or pick a really strange career goal that nobody else would have. And I learned yeah. this from Roger Goodell. Roger Goodell has wanted to be the commissioner of the NFL since he was a teenager, which I can't imagine that mm -hmm. back in the 
70s there was another human being another teenage boy or girl yeah. in the in the united states of america whose career goal was to be the commissioner of the nfl so when you when you focus like a laser beam on a goal that nobody else has i mean that's pretty that's pretty powerful and, and yeah. obviously he's an intelligent enough guy and we love to make fun of him and everything but but that that singular focus on something that not many other people are actually focused on I think he was by the time he was working for the NFL and he was kind of angling and jockeying for that, he was running a race that none of his competitors even knew was being conducted. You know, like the 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 alliances he would have formed, all of that. He he was probably up against a whole lot of other guys that just kind of assumed, like, well, I hope Tagliabue gives me a good recommendation. That's such a that's that's an excellent point. It's and especially in that role that's so specific that people aren't planning on doing. Like they go into athletic administration. Like you know, people who are just like, oh yeah, I'm going to be an athletic administrator, maybe uh, an AD at a college, and then if I fall, it's like no, he he knew the direction he wanted to go, and he could yeah. see on the way how to navigate the obstacles in the way that no one else was even looking at and they were oblivious to it. Well, and that's, that's why I so wonder true. it yeah. sometimes too, this as I, as I sit in grudging admiration of the niche that Jack Easterby has carved out for himself with the mm -hmm. Texans. I wonder if it's somewhere along the way he decided, you know what, there's a need for a guy that has kind yep. of human, um, if not, what is a, not human resources, organizational psychology. It has like an organizational psychology view of things. He's big into the emotional intelligence stuff and everything. And, you know, I just got to get my foot in the door. And if I can do that by being a chaplain and then work my way up to it, he may have just engineered himself a position because as a football outsider, right. there's no other way to do it. Well, that's why the, I mean, that like you brought up the data guys too in sports, like they they all see that if you can, it's not even always that there is a true need. And I do think there's a need for those analytics, but you know, if you see that there's a need to present it to decision makers who feel uncomfortable yeah. with a specific space, you can look so much more valuable than maybe even you are because you just know that there's an inherent discomfort for a lot of those guys with that kind of, you know, value. They just the feel really uncomfortable. The hardest part of that job being a stats guy in a football organization where maybe the owner or maybe the coach is into it, but not quite sure how into it he is. The hardest things would have to be explaining and getting them to be really comfortable that like, hey, the decision isn't going to always pay off in this moment. We're trying to give ourselves a 1% advantage yeah. over multiple opportunities, <clears throat> you know, so that you can't get too wrapped up in any one particular outcome. But I do think for some guys like John Harbaugh with the Ravens, I, I've almost seen the shift in attitude where now he almost has no defensiveness in meetings anymore because he's letting the math do the work. And yeah. it's like, it's kind of liberating to be able to, if you go for it on fourth and it doesn't work out, you go into the press conference and say, what, what do you guys want to know? I mean, yeah, the math said to go for it. And, you know, given the fact that we'd rushed well that day, or I don't know, we, we had this certain play set up. Mm -hmm. It was the right, it was the right idea. And I think writers and fans too, are starting to get more comfortable with the notion that, all right, the process was correct. So it wasn't yeah. the right outcome, but it made sense in that moment. And with the math and all that, the process was correct. It, it's a, I mean, it's a great, uh, it's great insurance for risk management. I mean, it's great. It's a great way to just like lean on it and kind of say like, look, I mean, what do you want from me? Like I, I, I did exactly what I should have done. I mean, it's, it's like, it's you, don't go, you don't go screaming to your insurance agent at the end of the year that you didn't get in a car accident. Right. Like, uh, like the, 
Right. What are you doing? Yeah. You told me yeah. it was a good idea to buy this insurance and then I didn't get in an accident. <laughs> insurance agent can say, hey man, that's the math, baby. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, buddy. I appreciate it. I think you talked to me a little bit off the ledge with Deshaun Watson. And I don't know if that's just because I want to be talked off the ledge or if you're 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 looking to be talked off the ledge, if you're good at it. And I think I learned, I learned a few things about listening. I I learned a a few things about love and I learned a few things about hair extensions. So thank you. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. That's, those are all my expertise. So (laughs) we've done good in this world. All right, buddy. All right, man. (laughs)